0: So after his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, during the last week of his earthly life, Jesus was there in Jerusalem, and he began to share a number of powerful parables. And these parables, man, they impacted the Jews in a a great, great way. One of the parables that he shared was called the parable of the tenants, and it can be found in Matthew chapter 21. So before we get into our text in John 15, I want to read this parable with you and then I want to give you a brief explanation as to what it means. So doing so is going to help us understand what Jesus meant when he said in John 15:1, I am the true vine. Okay? So Matthew 21 starting in verse 33. If you're looking at Matthew 21, verse 33, just say amen. Here we go. Jesus said, here another parable. There was a master, please underline the word master, of a house who planted a vineyard, please underline vineyard. And he put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it, built a tower, and leased it to tenants, please underline tenants. And he went to another country. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his, please underline, servants to the tenants to get his fruit. The tenants took his servants, and they beat one, they killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent, please underline, his son he sent his son to them, saying, they'll respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir, come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. All right, so what in the world was Jesus talking about when he gave the parable of the tenants? Well, I wanna put a key up on the screen to help you understand what the Lord was saying. The master in the parable is God the Father. The vineyard is the nation of Israel. The tenants are the leaders of Israel, and the servants are the Old Testament prophets. By the way, let me back up to the nation of Israel, the vineyard, okay, so often when when you're reading through the Old Testament, and I hope you are, um, you'll see that the vine is used as a symbol for Israel. Okay, so the vineyard's a nation of Israel. The servants are the um, Old Testament prophets, and the son, of course, is Jesus Christ. Now, when you think about the tenants in the middle of your screen, Jesus was talking about the leaders of Israel through much of the Old Testament and in his day as Well, Okay, and so the master of the house, here's the idea, God the Father. He entrusts his vineyard, the nation of Israel, to some tenants. That's the leaders of Israel. And those leaders, instead of being selfless servants, many of them decided we're going to be selfish, self-centered tyrants. And so instead of feeding the flock, what did they do? They fleeced the flock And not only that, with force and cruelty, they ruled over the people. But here's what you need to know. Since the Father is so merciful, and how many of you guys are glad we serve a merciful God, right? So because he's so merciful, what did he do? He sent two lines from the bottom, his servants, the Old Testament prophets, over and over and over again, to call both the leaders and the nation to repentance, And so what happened when that occurred? Well, instead of listening to those men of God, they beat, killed, and stoned them. (laughs) But the father's still merciful, so what did he do? He actually sent, bottom line, his one and only son, Jesus Christ. And when Jesus came to Israel, what happened? The tenants said, this is the heir, come let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they threw him out of the vineyard. By the way, Jesus was crucified outside of the gates of Jerusalem. They threw him out of the vineyard, and they killed him. And then, look at Matthew 21, verse 40. Jesus said this to the people. Remember, this is during the last week of his earthly life. He said, when therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants And the crowd said, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. And now listen, verse 43, ladies and gentlemen, this is mammoth. So much turns on verse 43. He said, therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken in pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it'll crush him. 45. When the chief priests and the Pharisees The leaders of the nation who made up what's called the Sanhedrin, the highest ruling council in Israel during Jesus' day. When the chief priests and Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. Who were the tenants in the parable? The tenants were the leaders of Israel the leaders through much of the Old Testament and absolutely including the leaders in Jesus' day, the chief priests, the Pharisees, those who made up the Sanhedrin, okay? That's who the tenants were. And what did they do? What they did is they turned Jesus over to the Romans to have him killed just like Jesus predicted. Okay, so with that parable in your mind, I want you now to turn to John chapter 15. And as you're turning, just so you understand how important this is, I want you to understand that because the leaders of the nation of Israel did not repent and did not receive Jesus as their Messiah, the Lord said to them, check it out on the screen, really want to make sure you get this, therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And so one of my jobs as a pastor, and by the way, thank you for the privilege, I love doing what I do, whether I have a voice or not. But one of my jobs is to instruct you on what's happening in the Bible so you get a better understanding. Pray for me that I would rightly handle the word of truth so that as I explain the word of God, Maybe light bulbs go go on in your head. Maybe you can make some connections. Okay, and so listen to this. As the old covenant gave way to the new covenant, as the dispensation of law gave way to the dispensation of grace, you need to know that God's kingdom was temporarily taken away from Israel and given to a people producing its fruits. Now the reason I say temporarily taken away from Israel is because one day in the future, God is merciful and he's gonna turn his attention back to the nation of Israel. Why? Here's why, so that he can redeem them. So that he, ladies and gentlemen, can fulfill all the promises that he made to the, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the Old Testament, okay? and so since Israel is back in the land, the promised land since 1948. And by the way, the next generation coming up, moms and dads, you gotta explain to them that Israel hasn't been there for 2000 years. This is a modern day miracle that a people group would actually be out of their land and then come back in their land. And so they're there, they're there in unbelief by large. Most of them deny Christ today, but there are Messianic Jews in the land of Israel. But they're there, and since they're there, the stage is set for the day of their redemption. And so as we're waiting, no one knows the day or the hour, but as we're waiting for the return of Christ, In this present dispensation of grace, here's my question. Who are the fruit-bearing people who make up the kingdom of God? And the answer is the church. And that leads you to your next point. Okay, so remember we said we're going to do teamwork today. And so on the count of three, I want you guys nice and loud to read what's on the screen. One, two, three, go ahead. Go ahead. That was great. Thanks for the teamwork. All right. By the way, did you notice the church, Ecclesia, called out once, which is made up of, shout out the word, Jews and Gentiles. God loves the Jews. Paul said in Romans that all Israel will be saved, speaking about the second coming of Christ and the remnant of Israel that trusts him. Okay, and so that's gonna happen. But until then, you need to know that the kingdom of God has been given to the church. Okay, so not long after sharing the parable of the tenants, remember, he said it during the last week of his earthly life. Well, on the Thursday night of that week, Jesus goes up to an upper room with his disciples. And with that parable fresh on their minds, he says to them in chapter 15, verse one, he says, I am the true vine. All right, so that is the seventh and last of the seven great I am statements recorded by John in his gospel. For so, so for one last time, here are all seven. All right, teamwork makes the dream work. On the count of three, start with I am, the bread of life, and go all the way down. Ready, one, two, three, Go. I am, I am, I am, I am, I am. You guys remember back in John chapter eight, Jesus made the shocking statement to Israel's leaders. What did he say? He said, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. The same title God gave to Moses in the burning bush. Jesus obviously lived in the first century AD. When did Abraham live? Two thousand years or so before christ and jesus said before abraham was i am wow and that shouldn't be so hard to accept because the first verse in our gospel of john says in the beginning the beginning of what the beginning of the creation of the space-time material universe in the beginning was the word christ was already there before creation why because he's the second person of the trinity the eternal son of god in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so, through his wonderful words and works, Jesus proved over and over and over again that he is the great I am. He is God in the flesh. All right, so let's look at John 15, verse 1. He said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, okay, that's what you call a fruitless branch, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, that's called a fruitful branch, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. All right, so here's a key that's gonna help you understand the passage. And so, on the count of three, start with the sun. You guys can do this. One, two, three, go ahead. Good job, man. You guys are killing it today. All right, so, the, first of all, you need to know that the sun is the true vine. Now, in the Old Testament, who was the vine? Israel, thank you for listening. In the Old Testament, Israel was the true vine. But guess what happened? Israel became apostate. What's the word apostate mean? The word apostate means to rebel against and depart from. Okay, so Israel became apostate. Therefore, they're not the true vine. Christ is the true vine. Second of all, the father is the vine dresser. So what do do vine dressers do? They care for the vineyard. And you're going to find out later on in the message that one of the ways the father cares for the vineyard is he prunes the vines. Ouch, right? We'll get to that in a little while. Third of all, the disciples, they're the branches of the vine. And we're going to discover right now that there are true disciples and false disciples. We're going to reread verses one and two. I am the true vine, Jesus said. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch of me that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. There's two types of branches, ladies and gentlemen. Fruitless branches and fruitful branches. The fruitless branches represent false disciples. The fruitful branches represent True disciples. Who's Jesus talking to? He's in an upper room Thursday night before his crucifixion on Friday morning and he's talking to how many apostles in the upper room? Let me see if you've been listening. How many? 11, praise the Lord. Good job. 11. Okay, and so were they true disciples or were they false disciples? Well, Jesus told them in the next verse, verse three. He said, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you that verse parallels John 13:10 after Jesus washed the feet of the disciples this is what he said to them you are shout off the word clean. clean same greek word in John 13:10 as the word we just read in John 15 you are clean spiritually cleansed but not every one of you Okay, and so the 11 disciples had been spiritually cleansed. They had been saved. But who was the one disciple who wasn't saved? What's his name? Shout it out. Judas. Judas. He went out. Why? To go betray Christ for 30 pieces of silver. And so regarding false disciples like Judas, John MacArthur said this. Need your help again. On the count of three, go ahead. One, two, three, Go. Okay, so Judas was a false disciple. I love what Got Questions article said. By the way, if you need a good resource, gotquestions.org. But they called Judas a quote, hanger on <laughs> Wasn't a true branch. He's just hanging on. Okay, and so Judas was a false disciple and he exemplifies all false disciples for the last 2,000 years. Ladies and gentlemen, please help me out here. How can you tell If somebody is a false disciple, well, here is the principle in the Bible. By their fruit, you will know them. By their fruit, or their lack thereof, you're gonna know them. And because genuine salvation has never taken place, the life of Christ does not flow into them. Therefore, there is no spiritual fruit. But true disciples are different. Regarding them, MacArthur, on the count of three, said this, one, two, three, go ahead. Good job. I'm gonna do this every week. (laughs) Keeps you guys engaged. Okay, and so the 11 disciples were true disciples. And they exemplify all true disciples for the last 2,000 years. Ladies and gentlemen, help me out. How can you tell whether or not somebody's a true disciple? By their fruit. You will know them or lack thereof. And so since genuine salvation is taking place, it's called the new birth, being born again, Okay, imagine that this is Jesus, the vine. Imagine this is a branch of a true disciple because true salvation is taking place. Guess what happens? The life of Jesus Christ is flowing into the branch. And what's the result? Well, I was in my refrigerator this morning and I opened it up and I saw a bowl with a lot of beautiful grapes. And I thought about taking the grapes here and hanging them off my arm today but I thought that's going too far. You guys can imagine it, right? Because the life, the new life, the spiritual life of Jesus Christ flows from him into the branch of a true disciple. What's the result? Big cluster of juicy, sweet fruit. By their fruit, you will know them. And then you gotta know this, to the true disciples, he's talking to the 11 in the upper room. To the true disciples, he says now in verse four, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Okay, and so when a person turns to Jesus Christ, listen to this, in genuine repentance and faith, receiving Christ as the Savior and the Lord, of their life. What happens to that person? What happens is what's called regeneration. What happens is that they are spiritually cleansed. What happens is the Holy Spirit of God in this new covenant age. I'm going to see if you were listening last week. The Holy Spirit of God comes inside of that person temporarily or permanently. Permanently. They're sealed to the day of redemption. He forgives all their sins, past, present, and future. And not just that. He puts them in Christ, to use Pauline language. In Christ. He puts that person in the vine, the Lord Jesus Christ. They become an authentic branch. And Christ gives them new life. Okay, so after a person gets saved, what does the Lord want them to do? He just said it in verse 4. He said, I want you to abide in me. Now, what does abide mean? Okay, on the count of three, go ahead. One, two, three. There it is. So if you're a born-again Christian, this is what Jesus is saying to you this morning. He wants you to continue to trust, continue to depend, and continue to rely on him for the rest of your life. And ladies and gentlemen, when you do that, guess what? You're gonna bear fruit. And guess what? That fruit's gonna be an evidence of your salvation. Okay, so regarding abiding in Christ. D.A. Carson, I need some tea. Because tea really helps my throat. And so you guys, in the count of three, you're gonna read this one. Ready? One, two, three, go ahead. The point (laughs) Ha, ha, ha. Gotcha. I did that on purpose. I did it at first service too. You guys actually did a better job than first service on that one. It's sine qua non. Sine qua non. It's a Latin phrase meaning the essential condition of. So the essential condition of continued spiritual fruitfulness in increasing measure. What is it? It's abiding in Christ, it's that true disciple continuing to trust, continuing to depend, continuing to rely on the Lord Jesus Christ. And ladies and gentlemen, the more that we do that, the more the spirit produces more fruit in us. In fact, he'll produce much fruit in and through you. That's what it says in verse five. Please look at verse five. He said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears, shout the next two words. See it? Much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. All right, so I don't know if you noticed, but there's been a progression in our text today. We started off, Jesus talking about, in the beginning of verse two, fruit. And then at the end of verse two, more fruit. And now in verse five, Much fruit. And so you have fruit, you have more fruit, and you have much fruit. Okay, so what in the world is fruit? One, two, three, go. There it is. Anything that the Holy Spirit You remember the forgotten member of the Trinity? Anything the Holy Spirit produces in and through a true believer. Last night we had our elders and elders' wives Christmas dinner. The staff wanted to show our appreciation to these men and women of God who serve behind the scenes here at Calvary Port St. Lucie. So we met in a private room in a restaurant and we just gushed all over them. And so I had the privilege of opening up in prayer, and as I looked around, I told everybody in the room, we have 12 elders, by the way, and um, I think 10 elders' wives. I looked around, I told all of them, man, I have been buried in this text this week about Jesus being the vine, and we're the branches, and he's called us not just to bear fruit, not just to bear more fruit, but much fruit. And I just wanna to say to all of you here tonight that when I look around this room, here's what I see. I see much fruit. And I'm so grateful for your ministry that you do behind the scenes at Calvary Poor St. Lucie. Ladies and gentlemen, this is one of the many reasons why we have a healthy church here, because we have spiritually mature women and men of God who are serving behind the scenes. And we should right now thank God for them. I need more tea, so thank God for the elders once again. (laughs) That's hot. Okay, so what's just one example of fruit in the New Testament? Here it is. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, here's the application part of the message. So, man, if you've kind of been tuning me out, I want you to really tune in now. Listen with Dumbo ears, okay? So, just like sap flows from the vine into the branch in order to produce a cluster of big, juicy grapes, sweet grapes. So, the life, the true life, the new life, the spiritual life of Jesus Christ flows from him, the true vine, into true disciples, the branch, right? And what happens, amazing fruit appears as well. But here's the big question, listen to me. The question is this, are you allowing the Holy Spirit of God to produce spiritual fruit in your life in increasing measure? There's the key right there. Because listen, all true believers have some fruit, okay? If you don't have fruit, you don't have spiritual life, and you're not saved. And and by the way, you guys know me better than to think I'm preaching works salvation here. I'm not preaching works-based salvation that you have to do meritorious works to earn heaven. That's a false gospel. But here's what I know. If anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. There is a change. If there's not a change, you haven't met Jesus. If there's not a change, you have not met Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ is powerful. Okay, so listen, ask yourself this question in your heart. Take some spiritual inventory. Am I allowing the Holy Spirit to produce spiritual fruit in and through my life in increasing measure? Do I have not just fruit, do I have more fruit? And then as I continue to grow in Christ, do I have much fruit? Because according to verse eight, that's what glorifies the Father. Look at verse eight. John 15, eight, by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And so by their fruits, you shall know them. Prove to be my disciples. Ladies and gentlemen, much fruit glorifies the father. Okay, so fruit, more fruit, much fruit, spiritual fruit. What does that mean? That means Authentic branch, life of Christ is flowing in. Now, my challenge to you, born-again Christian, is that you and I would allow, as we continue to grow, the Spirit to produce in and through our lives more and more and more fruit in increasing measure. Now, why is that important? Because not only does it glorify the Father, it also blesses other people in our circle. Oh, my goodness, ladies and gentlemen, listen to this. When you have much love and much joy and much peace and much patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, guess what? You're gonna be an amazing spouse. Who doesn't wanna be married to that guy who's overflowing in love and joy and peace? Listen, go get your marriage books. Praise the Lord. Learn how to work on your marriage. But listen, that's so much more important than some marriage book. Who doesn't wanna be married to that guy? Who doesn't want to be married to that gal, right? So you'll be such a a better, you'll be an awesome spouse. Your spouse will be like, praise the Lord, I'm married to him. And not just that, you'll be an awesome parent. Listen, for you parents who have little kids, if that exemplifies the environment of your home Oh my goodness, there's such a better chance that your kids are going to grow up. And guess what? They're going to become lifelong followers of Christ and they're going to do the same thing in their home too. That's where it's at. You're going to be a better spouse. You're going to be a better parent. Think about it for those of you who are bosses. What employee doesn't want to work for her or him? So you'll be a better boss. You'll be a better employee. You'll be a better friend. You won't be able to keep the friends away from you if that exemplifies your life. See, it's the work of the Spirit. And without Christ, you can do nothing. Without Christ, I can do nothing. The key is abiding in Christ. It'll even make you a better driver <laughs> as you're driving down 995 and that person cuts you off instead of putting up that forbidden finger. What will you do? You'll pray for the person. Somebody once told me after a message, I was preaching on traffic and our response, and they came up to me after the service, and they said, Pastor, what happens on 95, stays at 95. (laughs) And my thought is, no! Don't just be a Christian on Sunday morning, put on the act, carry your Bible, oh, look at me. No, we're called to be true disciples, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Man, we got to stop playing church. Got to get real. Stacy and I were driving down 95 one day, and um you know how the love bugs in Florida. So I'm cleaning my windows, and all of a sudden I look at my left side mirror and this guy's flying around me. He gets in front of me, puts on his brakes on 95 and I'm like, "Whoa, what's going on?" And all of a sudden I start to get water from his windshield wiper fluid all over me. He got mad. I didn't even know he was back there, but he got mad and he wanted to get back at me. So what did I do? Well, the fruit of the spirit is self-control. And so thank God I was able to control myself because you know what my flesh wanted to do? The same thing back to him, road rage. How many born again Christians because they're not really abiding in Christ are capable of road rage? and acting like idiots on I-95 instead of representing the Lord Jesus Christ. And I should have prayed for him. I'm a work in progress. I'll pray for the next guy. But man, a little bit of a different topic here. What's the key to fruit bearing? It's not trying harder in our flesh. It's not trying to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and work really hard. You know, I've never seen a vine in a vineyard, if vines could talk, saying, oh, I struggle to produce more grapes. That doesn't happen. And in the same way, it's not about us in our own strength, in our own willpower, in our own flesh, trying to work it out, right? I will be more loving and joyful and kind, right? As our face turns red and veins are bulging. No, that's not the key. Ladies and gentlemen, it's just natural, the sap flows. It's just natural, the spiritual life flows when we abide in Jesus Christ. The key, the primary key is not trying, it's trusting. Trusting in him. And so by way of review, can we see slide seven? So on the count of three, I want you guys to start with the sun and read all the way down to the bottom, one, two, three, go ahead. And then slide 11, one, two, three, uh, go ahead. Slide 13, one, two, three, please go. All right. Is this making sense to you guys so far? All right. want to ask two questions now, and then I'll answer them. Number one. How does Jesus treat fruitless branches? Number two, how does Jesus treat fruitful branches? That leads you to your next point. Fruitless or fruitful, fruitless branches are removed and burned. When you think about Judas, when Jesus did not become the Messiah that Judas wanted him to be, Right? What does Judas want? He wanted a militant Messiah. He wanted someone who could take over by violence and then promote him as the treasurer to treasurer of the kingdom so he would get all the gold and the glory and the girls or whatever. That's the kind of Messiah Judas wanted. And when Jesus did not turn out to be the Messiah that Judas wanted, what did he do? He showed his true colors. He showed his apostate heart. Right now, where we are in the Bible, guess where Judas is? Not in the upper room. He's down making a deal with the Sanhedrin to sell out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. He shows his apostate heart. And so regarding apostates, and by the way, what does that tell us about Judas? That Judas was saved and then he lost his salvation? No, 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 no. What it shows us is that Judas was never saved to begin with. And he was apostate. Regarding apostates, those who rebel against Christ and depart from Christ, John said this in his first letter one, two, you ready for this? Three, go ahead, like you mean it. See what's going on? No, 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 Judas was not saved and then he lost his salvation. He went out from them because he was not of them for if he had been of them, he would, not, he would have continued with them but he went out that it might be plain that he was not of them. Does that make sense to you guys? All right, so what happens to fruitless branches like Judas? Judas? Okay, look at verse two. It says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he, who's he? God the father of the vine dresser, takes away. Now, everybody look at me. There are really good evangelical, well-meaning scholars, and they try to say that takes away actually means lift up, because the fruitless branch isn't bearing fruit and it's on the ground, so the vine dresser gently lifts the the vine up so it gets more sunlight so it'll bear fruit. Please do not practice eisegesis on the text. Practice exegesis. don't, Don't implant your thoughts on the scripture, just take what Jesus is saying. Okay, so what is Jesus saying in verse two? Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away. What does that mean in the text? Please look at verse six. Verse six, if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. How many of you guys know Jesus just tells it like it is? And that's one of the reasons we admire him one of the reasons that we love him. Because he doesn't pull punches. Because he actually loves us, he tells us the truth. All right, so what's the truth? Verse six is indicative of eternal destruction. Verse six is indicative of eternal judgment for false disciples, apostates. Now, what's really sad to me is that some commentators actually take verse six and they try to apply it to true disciples, and they actually say that verse six means that true believers can lose their salvation. Ladies and gentlemen, please listen to me. Trust me, okay, on this? Nothing could be further from the truth. When we interpret New Testament verses, here's what we do. We gotta keep them in their immediate context. We gotta keep them in the context of the book, and we gotta keep them in the context of the entire New Testament. And when you do that with verse six, guess what happens when you look at the context of the book? John, in John six, okay, so hold your place, please. In John 15, take a left and turn on over to John chapter six. Here's the context of the book. The Lord Jesus Christ said in John chapter six, verse 37. He said, all that the Father gives me Will, everybody say the word will. Will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Verse 39, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I should, what's the next two words? Lose nothing of all that he's given me, but raise it up. On the last day. And so what we have to come to grips with is that the Lord said that the elect will come to me. And I will never cast them out. Listen. I will lose none of them. You say, I don't believe in election. Then you don't believe in the New Testament. Because election is all over the New Testament. Okay. And so if you want to go deeper, I tell you this. Like probably every couple months, but if you want to go deeper in this hotly debated topic about predestination and free will, then get Norman Geisler's book, Chosen But Free, because here's what is true. God is sovereign, and man has a free will. They're both true, okay? So get the book and read it, but don't deny election, because election is absolutely true, and the elect will come to Christ in the context of the book, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, John 10, and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish. Neither will any man snatch them out of my hand. My father who gives them to me is greater than all and no one will snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. And so based on the context of the book of John and based on the context of the entire New Testament, please read Romans chapter eight. If you struggle with this, when you look at it, you can confidently say the burning branch metaphor pertains to those who were never saved to begin with. And the reason they don't bear spiritual fruit is because they don't have spiritual life, period. Okay, so how does Jesus treat fruitful branches? Well, look at verse two again. In verse two of John chapter 15, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does, does bear fruit, he prunes. He doesn't burn those branches. He prunes those branches. Why? That it may bear more fruit. Here's your next point if you're taking notes. Fruitless or fruitful? Fruitful. Well, fruitless branches are removed and burned. We already read those verses. But the good news is, fruitful branches, those who are really saved, they are pruned. Why? To bear more fruit. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're here today and you've really been born again, you're a true believer, here's what you need to know. That the Father is going to prune you. And the reason he's gonna prune you or discipline you or chastise you and me is because he absolutely wants to bear more fruit through us. Now, does anybody think that pruning sounds fun? (laughs) No, not at all. If a fruit-bearing branch could talk when the vine dresser's pruning that branch, it's like, ow, man, we, we gotta do this? And the father's like, yep, because as you've heard before, No pain, no gain. And so I'll give you a living example of this. During the first century, there were many Jews, praise the Lord, that came to Jesus Christ as their Messiah. And guess what happened? The Holy Spirit did with them, just like he does with Gentiles who come to Christ, he put them in the true vine, Jesus Christ, and they became authentic branches. And the life of Jesus Christ, the spiritual life, right, flowed into them, and they began to bear fruit Jewish believers in the first century and then what happened after they started bearing fruit the father stepped in the vine dresser and he began to prune them book of hebrews you can read it sometime and what did he do he allowed them to encounter difficult times hard times he allowed them to encounter persecution why why god why hard times Why persecution? Well, it's so they could bear more fruit. (laughs) And their difficulties made them grow weary and burdened and discouraged. So what does a loving heavenly father do? He inspired the author of Hebrews, whoever that is, to write this word of encouragement to them. Check it out. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? And now he quotes from Proverbs chapter three, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline. That's chastisement, that's pruning. Don't regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. And so if you're a true believer, here, today, just like the Hebrew Christians, you can expect the Father to prune you, to chastise you, to discipline you, and that should cause you to rejoice. Why? Because the Lord, I underlined it, disciplines the one he, shout out the word, loves. He loves you <laughs> and it chastises every son. You're an authentic branch. Praise the Lord. If there was no discipline, no chastisement, no pruning, that means that you're just a hanger on -er like Judas. But you're a true, authentic branch, and that's why the Lord is pruning you, to bear more fruit, because he loves you. You say, I know, Pastor, but it hurts. Well, the author of Hebrews has something to say about that too. On the count of three, I need some more tea. Thank you so much. By the way, teamwork does make the dream work. We're getting through this. We're almost done. One, say it like you mean it. Two, say it in sync. Three, go. See it. The peaceful fruit of righteousness. If you're a Christian you're going through hard times, you need to rejoice because there's a purpose for your pain. I know it's December, I know it's the holidays, I know some of your hearts are breaking. You need to know that God loves you, he's a father to you. And he never wastes your hurt. There's always a purpose for your pain. Your pain is not meaningless. You're a child of God, you crazy? Your pain is not meaningless. He is sovereign, he's got you. He's gonna get you through all of this. And so hang on. Abide, continue to trust, continue to depend, continue to rely on him. If you surrender to what the Father's doing, he'll produce the fruit of righteousness in you. Now, the fruit of righteousness there, in the context, and I looked at the context, because God forbid I ever put a verse on a screen without studying the context to make sure I'm rightly handling the word of truth with you guys. Okay, the context, that righteousness, that's not Romans imputed righteousness. That happens when we're justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's not the context. The context there is right living. It's talking about sanctification. It's talking about holiness. It's talking about integrity. God doesn't waste your pain. No, there's a purpose for your pain. And all things work together for good for those who love God and those who are the called according to his purpose. And so what is he doing? He is pruning because he loves and he wants you to bear more fruit. Last two verses, verses seven and eight. He said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. Wow. Whatever I wish? I'll come back to that. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. The Lord said at the end of verse seven ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And some people only hear that part of the verse. And so, what's the response? Ask for whatever I wish. All right, God, in the name of Jesus, as if that's gonna help, I pray for a mansion on the beach with a beautiful long wraparound porch and an indoor spa and a recreation room and a pool. And God, I also pray for a four-car garage so I can have that Rolls-Royce and that Lamborghini and that Ferrari and that Aston Martin. In Jesus' name. How far do you think that prayer is going to go? Not even to the ceiling, ladies and gentlemen. Why? Because you're only looking at half the verse. That's why. So even though the end says, ask whatever you wish, and it'll be done for you. The end of verse seven, the beginning of the verse, which qualifies the verse, (laughs) says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, then ask whatever you wish, and it'll be done for you. If you ignore the first half of the verse, you're going to start asking for a lot of things that have nothing to do with God's will and everything to do with your will. And the Father loves you too much to give you that stuff. And so what did James say about all this? He said, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And why do we ask wrongly? Because the word of Christ is not abiding in our hearts. But ladies and gentlemen, if we will start meditating on Christ's words, guess what's going to happen? We're going to find out what he wants. And if we continue to meditate in Christ's words, sanctify them through your truth, your word is truth. Guess what happens as we continue day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade, as we're Meditating on God's word, the spirit is doing a work in our lives. And after a while, we start wanting what Christ wants. Wow, that's a beautiful place to be. I've been saved now for 39 years. My wife's been saved for over 40 years. And for that time, consistently, we have been meditating on the word of God by God's grace in our lives. And what's the result? The result is we've come to a place by God's grace and the sanctification of the spirit where we want what Christ wants and it's seen in our prayers. And by the way, did I ever marry up? Before I went to bed last night, my wife and I prayed together. Please, guys, take the lead. Pray with your wife every single night. And then usually we kiss each other, but I'm sick, right? So I didn't kiss her. But then I looked at her and I said, thank you for being a wife who allows the Holy Spirit to produce the fruit of the Spirit in and through your life. Because what I see from my wife Stacy is much love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and meekness and self-control. And for 33 years of marriage, ladies and gentlemen, it's like heaven on earth. Praise God for that. And listen, I'm not bragging on me or my wife. Jesus said at the end of verse five, without me you can do nothing. He gets all the glory for it. But man, I so want the marriages in our church to be healthy and strong. I want kids to grow up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I so want to see us here at Calvary bear not just fruit, more fruit, but much fruit. And the people start to see that and they're attracted to that. Here's your final point. The key to answered prayer is desiring what Christ desires. Because then our prayers will conform to his will and they'll be granted. Does this make sense to you guys, yes or no? Yeah. So here's what some of you need to do. You need to turn off that TV preacher, whoever he is. Because he's telling you a bunch of lies. And you need to listen to God's word. And so in closing, do you know what Christ desires? If not, Make it your choice today. I'm going to meditate in God's word day and night and discover what he wants. Do you desire what he desires? If not, ask the Lord to change your heart. He loves that, but you gotta be willing. Do do your prayers reflect Christ's words? If not, just start praying the scriptures. Open up the New Testament, just start praying the scriptures. And guess what will happen? You can ask for whatever you want. Jesus said, it will be done for you. And all God's people said,